this is the title of of the article by um Brenton Mock. Uh, he says the origins of, of the phrase black on black crime. So he says the phrase black on black crime gets tossed around so cavalierly these days that it can be hard to assert the intention behind it, no matter who says it. When President Obama uses it, it may it may take on the tone. Oh, by the way, this article was written in 2015, so it may take on the tone of solidarity, especially when he when he's speaking at a black church or HBCU. But thanks to social media, his voice carries. The words get copied and pasted into less generous agendas, sans the care of the original context. Some conservatives use it to resort to or a a deflation tool for Black Lives Matter narratives aimed at shining a light on the police killings of African Americans. Meanwhile, residents of black communities also use it as the as they as they as they have for decades to express concern about safety in their neighborhoods. The African Americans in this latter group are often employing their their inside voices when invoking the black on black issue meaning within safe black discourse space. In December of 1970, Chicago Daily Defender columnist Warner Saunders wrote about getting into getting invited to speak at a seminar on black on black crime. To prep for the talk, he caught up with a neighborhood hustler named Fast Willie and asked him why he robbed and beat up black people who are his brothers. Willie's response was an early indication of what we need to know about the supposed black-on-black phenomena. So, here's Willie's answer. We go where the business is, and where the man ain't, or rather where the man ain't looking, can you see me going up to Deerfield, black as I am, trying to stick up? The man would be on me so fast I couldn't get a chewing gum. Alright, I couldn't get a chewing gum wrapper. Out here, the man is too busy whooping them panthers and getting and giving tickets to mess with me. Anyway, he don't care if N-words get ripped off. But you can bet he's watching his thing back in his own hood. So, and, and, and as you know, um, Dr. Cesar, Deerfield is, is, is North Chicago. It's a North Chicago neighborhood that's historically been predominantly white and is this, to this day, 96% white. The rest of Willie's testimony is self-explanatory. He commits crimes against other African Americans because that's who he lives around. And that's what the police will let him get away with. So, I won't read the rest because it's, it's quite a long article, but um, I, for, for context and the reason for this discussion, I wanted to share that. Um, so, Brother, it's you. As the as as our um, <laughs> as our resident uh, criminologist, social scientist, um, you know, well, what do you think? Should well, we? Sam, uh, <laughs> let, me, let me again say thank you for inviting me uh, inviting me for this conversation. And I think yesterday when we when I posted the the flyer that was created to advertise the show. And um, the response that we got from some of the people was a very good indication of of what um, part of what my own position um, is. And, and let mm-hmm. me let me again give people my own version of the context in which I became part of this conversation. When you called me yesterday and you basically said that there's a video of some young black man um, talking about well, blacks are killing blacks, police are killing blacks, but why are they talking about police are killing blacks? 
and when blacks are killing blacks and maybe blacks are killing more blacks more than police are killing blacks mm-hmm. and we had that conversation and i and i said to you that i would be willing to con- to to um to communicate uh with you on on that on that subject matter and um, because an import is an important one but i have a particular spin i have my particular take on that right um and when we created the the advertisement black on black uh versus or and police on black violence you know uh, which should we deal with this separately or together uh that title enraged um understandably so a whole lot of people <laughs> Um, and what I understood from that response, uh, you know, as a social scientist is that there's a right place and a right time for everything. And some people are saying right now, th- it is not the right place and the right time mm-hmm. to have such a, a title, um, about a show, uh, because to them, it is insensitive to them. It is inconsiderate of the fact that we have all of this police brutality, uh, going on. And then people want to detract with a conversation about black on black crime, uh, as if, as if, as if it to sidestep the importance of police violence, especially if police violence against people of color and especially more specifically against black men, uh, black women, but more so among black men. So I understand the outrage that some people assumed automatically that because it was so titled that you and I, or maybe I was certainly going to be going out there talking about, hey, we need to be talking about black and black violence right. and not about police violence. They assumed what angle I was going to take without knowing the, the backdrop and without, you know, without even being able to come on one uh, a well-known uh, a person actually said that he was not going to use the word patronize uh, to, to listen to the show because he was so put off by the title. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I cautioned about judging the book before the cover because that's what happens. A black man gets shot because of the outside of his skin. Right. Or he gets, uh, uh, people get afraid of him so much that they shoot him in the back like a corn Madonna or, um, or for sure, whatever. He, he will have handcuffs on his hand and he'd be laying on the street and he will be saying that his head is hurting, that his stomach is hurting. He will lose his bowel movements, all of this. And he will be pleading for his mother. And someone will not find the conscience to get his knee out of his neck because that color of his skin, that makeup of his blackness gives that such element of threat without someone even knowing him on the inside. They judge him for the outside and believe his life is not worth much and kill it. And we saw that similar attitude to the title of a show Right. that right on the surface, people are assuming what the content of the character of the show is. And I'm making disparaging comments. Uh, one guy went as far as, I don't know if he unfriended or he deleted some discussion because he used derogatory words to discuss the idea that we are about to discuss this issue <laughs> of, of what is called black on black violence and also talk about police violence and say whether or not we should deal with them separately or together. So Sam, let me just say this as an opening. Number one, we need to have a big funeral today. And the funeral needs to be for that term, black on black. And the reason why I say we need a funeral for the term black on black is that it is nothing else but a distraction about true issues. And I can tell you as a social scientist that there is no such thing to my empirical assessment as black on black crime. Because you know what that would mean? It would mean that like a black person would leave a suburb and maybe go to the city and find a black person to kill. Or a black person would leave wherever they are and deliberately go do something to another black person. Now that can happen, um, uh, as a hate crime. And if you, and, and, and the fact that we have uh, a lot of crimes that are committed among people are committed against people who are similar to them, that tells that People that what is called black on black, and if we're saying black and black, we need to say white and white, we need to say Asian and Asian, we need to right. say Latino and Latino. Exactly. And the statistics from the 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 Uniform Crime Reports for the FBI, um, um, the latest figure we see now that's very conspicuous. If one went to search, they might find 2016. But it tells us that that 89.5 percent of 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 victims of murder in the United States 
like of of black victims and black perpetrators, right? Mm-hmm. So so that's eighty nine point five percent, and we have eighty one point five percent. Let's just say eighty two percent of of, of, of white people who are killed are killed by other white people, and let's say 90% of blacks who are killed in America are killed in the hands of blacks. Now, one can say that, oh my gosh, this is all this black-on-black violence, but this is not, black people are not find, going to find black people to kill, and white people are not going to find white people to kill. The same way like someone may go to try to kill an LGBTQ person because they do not like the person's lifestyle, or the same way that someone may actually go target innocent people and try to do something to them in a, in, in a, in a hate crime. Right. That is not the case. It is really a story about the special concentration of people mm-hmm. and the high extent of segregation in the United States where because whites live closer to whites, they are more likely to victimize. And the fact that violence is an interpersonal crime. So if you're going to do something to someone, you have to do the thing to the people who are close to you unless you're going to kill someone on the internet or by the mail or something like that. So what is called black on black, what is called white on white, what is called Hispanic on Hispanic, we need to have a, a funeral for these terms because they muddy the water, they create a distraction about the real issue because it is really a story, Sam, about the special segregation that exists. Like in Dominica, where I'm from, I mean, are you going to be talking about black on black violence? Like what? So black people, if somebody wants to kill, they have to go to another country or they have to find a white person or, or they have to find a, a, a Kalinago person. It makes no sense. Exactly. So the very, so the, and the reason, part of the reason why this title is on this show is because we're having a funeral for it. <laughs> we need to bury it because it is a distraction for important conversations about issues that matter. And what are the issues that matter, uh, uh, Sam? The common denominator is this. A lot of men who look like me, black like me, lighter shade or darker shade, are dying prematurely for a variety of reasons and from a variety of sources. Right. You notice, and black women as well. You notice that COVID-19, we are disproportionately represented. You know that in the hands of the police, we are disproportionately represented. Even if, even with, um, issues of, of, of mental, of, of other quality of life issues, we are sometimes also overrepresented. And it's not something that is wrong with us genetically. If you look at the special, the social environments that we're living in, if you look at the way that inequality unfolds, all of these things tie in. Mm-hmm. So the, the issue is, Sam, that a lot of black men are dying prematurely in the hands of other people. Those other people include people who look like them. They're the same gender as them. They are people who are di- different gender by, uh, uh, than they are. They are people who are of other ethnic backgrounds. And, and too many of them are dying in the hands of people who are supposed to serve them, who their own tax money, their own votes, their own energy rarely funds these people quality of life and instead of these people coming to help them and save them and to assist their quality of life these people wrongfully take their lives. These people are oftentimes people in law enforcement, police officers, men women, whomever. Mm-hmm. Also too many black men are killing other black men the same way like too many white men are killing too many white men because we are more likely, and too many Latinos and too many Asians, we are more likely to die too many in people, the hands of yeah. people who look like too us. Too many than, people than taking each other's lives. I, I, yeah, this is the general term um, I would use. So, but well, uh, yeah, but the point, the point, the point I'm making here, Sam, is mm-hmm. that what I said is that we're saying that black men are dying. Too many black men are dying. Yeah. Too many black men are dying in different places. Now, the question is. What is the common denominator, or what do we learn from the fact that so many black men are dying in the hands of so many different people? And I say that, and this is the point of departure for this show for me, is that we are less likely to kill the things that we see to be valuable to us. Indeed. That if we love things and if we see things of great value, we are more likely to preserve them and uplift their quality of life than to destroy them, demean them, and kill them. 
So we have to say that if black men are dying so much so disproportionately, that the life of the black man is not valued, or the life of the black woman, or the life of the person of color, or the life of whomever is dying disproportionately is being seen as not valuable. And whoever is killing them has inside of them a belief or some understanding, conscious or subconscious, about the diminished value of that person's life. That is a basic theoretical understanding. Now, the question we have to ask is why is it then? What is the source of this understanding of the diminished expectation of the value of a black man's life? And I say that the common denominator for this expectation of a diminished quality of a black man's life is that false and this wicked existence of white supremacy and everything that falls under that notion of white supremacy, this notion of race that was created simply to create a category of whites and everybody else, Mm -hmm. and white is right, everything else is wrong, and to create a society and a world that is predominantly stacked and is predominantly arranged that gives advantage to those who have the privilege. And the privilege is something that you get without you having to do anything to produce it. So no white person has to be born white. Right. Their parents made the decision and in terms of how they came together and that has happened. So now the idea and the notion of race was not created to have unity among us, was not created to say about the beauty of people. And if you were Stockley Carmichael's work, if you were W. Du Bois' work, and if you use, you will read any work that we as social scientists use, race is a socially constructed category. category. And a human being, human beings are very deliberate in their constructions of things. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to believe what I say. You can go read about the different sources that talk about the origin of the social construction of race. And race could have been st- constructed in many ways. But race is constructed in a hierarchical way that has whites and everybody else, and has whites, non-whites, and has uh, not only do we have it just value in our ethnicity because there's their racial categories and their ethnicities within racial categories, but the idea is that there's a hierarchical structure that's created for whiteness. There are resources, there are laws of privilege that were created for whiteness. And as a result of this inequality and the manifestation of this inequality and and the inherent uh, uh, manifestation over time of this inequality, we see the kinds of impact where lives are valued less if they are not white that have been that have been put on the, on the, on the top of the, of the hierarchy. Lives are valued less if they do not fit the structure of white supremacy and white domination. And the lives of black men are seen as threats because there have been so many narratives that have been created to demon, to make us demons. There is hardly anything positive you can think that is black in the dictionary or in common language that 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 you can think is positive. Not even Black Friday, yeah. if you really think about it, right? <laughs> the most- so what I wanted to say as a point of departure, while I get your response here with this opening comment, is to say that too many black men are dying in the hands of whomever that they are dying. And the, the reason that they are dying is because people don't value their lives as much as they value the lives of other people who are not dying as much as we are dying in the hands of others, and that the common denominator for why our lives are are valued so little is this wicked false notion of white supremacy that manifests itself in so many ways. Now, that's the last thing I will say before we we, we move forward to the discussion. The question of this show is, yes, too many black men are dying in the hands of black men, too many black men are dying in the hands of Latinos. Too many black men are dying in the hands of white people. Too many black men are killing. Too many black men are dying. Coronavirus is killing us. Police are killing us. The, the salt is killing us. Sugar is killing us. Right? Mm. Do we discuss these things together or are they separate issues? Issues. So here's what my position is. My position is that we need to discuss these things generally separately. We can see that those things are connected because white supremacy is the big grandmother that is feeding all of this. So so once we identify this and we see that we are more likely to kill things that we see the lives of them that that that, that are not valuable and we see the source of the of why we believe that black man lives are not valuable and they are so and that they are fearful in the context of where police kill 
blacks unfairly. They are say, they claim that we are so aggressive and we are so we are so intimidated that they, their lives are in danger just by our presence. We don't even have to really do anything. Sometimes we're walking away, mm-hmm. right? In the, in the in the in the times when blacks are killed by blacks, sometimes people just you know they just kill an end. The probability that you will be caught because of what you did, right? You, what you did, right? The, mm-hmm. the the value that is the little value that is put on black lives. Even if the man looks like you, you have internalized the devaluation of that person's life. So it's easier for you to kill another black man, not because you don't value yourself, but because you don't value him. You even forgot that you don't look like him. And police officers who, who whether they are black themselves or whether they are white, they have the, they have not embraced the true value and the real value of a, of a black life and disrespected. And those black lives are, 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 are lost under those different circumstances because they are devalued. Now the issue is, do we discuss this together and address this together separately? Why do I say we did, we address this separately? And I'll pause here in a minute. If you are a homeowner or you're renting a home, you have a kitchen, you have a bathroom, you have a ceiling, you have a floor, you have an entrance where you may have a garage. Do you clean your toilet? Do you clean your kitchen? Do you clean your ceiling? Do you clean your floor? Do you clean your bedroom? Do you clean your living room? Yes, you do. Do you clean them all together? Do you take the rag that you wipe your toilet bowl and go use that same rag and wipe your kitchen sink? Do you really cook your dinner while you're killing your toilet bowl? Do you paint and scrape your roof while you're painting and scraping your floor? Do you do that? No, you do not do that. You do them in different times. Do you bring a brand new baby at home and then go polyurethane your floor and let the baby inhale this? No. There is a right place and a right time to deal with things. And that is what made so many people on my page angry yesterday. Because understandably, they misunderstood, maybe, um, I don't want to admit, I don't want to disrespect their, their positions. I don't want to necessarily say that they misunderstood and they cannot understand, but they did not know what the content of the conversation was. Mm-hmm. But they said, I don't want to talk about black on black violence now because that is not the issue. We have police on black violence. But here's what the people are saying. Some people are mad at the people who were mad at us for judging the cover of the book. But I'm not mad at them. Mm-hmm. Because what the people, what they are right about by being so, by claiming that this, this, the sub- subject matter that we have put to rest today is insensitive, is that human beings do not have the capacity to carry too much at one time as bright as we are. <laughs> and the, the best way to deal with things is to compartmentalize them and to focus and put strategic focus on things in order to address them properly. And right now, with this wickedness of white supremacists resulting uh, 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 hierarchical arrangements of the devaluation of black lives that lead to the police brutality, we need concerted effort. We need all lives on deck to address this wickedness where police officers that are trained uh, and are paid to protect us are killing us so much. And we cannot diffuse our energy that need to be put on this wickedness of white supremacy in police departments and otherwise that cause the the this the this the, the disproportionate loss of our lives in the hands of people that we pay to protect us. We cannot dilute our energy at this time talking about black on black crime. I'm not saying that we do not need to recognize it because white supremacy, the idea of white supremacy brings all of it together because it dictates our devaluation of lives like ours. Mm-hmm. But in order for us to make good forward movements, why the people on the uh, my Facebook page were so upset about and what I agree about is that we need to focus our attention on this wickedness, this wickedness of the white supremacist idea that causes police officers to brutalize us because they judge us on the outside, that they see our lives at less, and they believe that they can get away with killing us. Right. And they have gotten away with killing us from not being fired, thank God, for the, for the police chief in Minnesota, for not being indicted, and we have to lose our lives protesting to get justice after they have killed us. <laughs> so brothers and sisters that were upset on the page with this notion that this is insensitive, I completely hear you. I completely understand. I want to put to rest this notion of black and black crime. It's a hope. It's a distraction. It's, it's, it doesn't make any sense. We need not even use it, and we need not feed into it. And I hope that we can continue to have a discussion about how are we going to recognize 
that bottom line common denominator that is causing us to lose our lives in the hands of the police. We can talk about black and black violence. We have time to do that because trust me, when a whole bunch of black people kill a bunch of black people, it's going to be national news and we'll have the time we'll be addressing it more. But right now, we need to deal with this injustice because as we speak and tomorrow and the next few days, police officers are going to continue to brutalize us and continue to kill us because they have not valued our life sufficiently and they have not gotten the message some of them stand around while their partners are killing us and do nothing right they need to learn that if you stand around and you watch others kill us you are going to pay and we need to put all hands on deck to get those wicked people to pay for the wickedness that they are doing to us so let's do this now and we cannot forget the fact that we have other things to deal with but we need to focus our energy the same way that you clean your bathroom one time or you clean your kitchen, you, you clean your ceiling, you do your floor in different times. Let's focus our energy on dealing with this wickedness that currently confronts us. So thanks, uh, Frank, uh, I mean, Sam, thanks for the time, uh, for, for this introduction. Um, I probably spoke a little more than I wanted to speak, but I wanted to make sure that I set the foundation, uh, uh for this understanding. Right. Well, you know, <laughs> as you say, it definitely, you know, the idea of the title was to, you know, uh, so yeah, you know, to, to, to see how much we prejudge a situation and to give reverence to the fact that we are prejudged before someone even knows us, before they even know our hearts. They are, they've already passed the judgment. They've already decided that this person well, first of all, in some cases, we are not even seen as a person. Secondly, if they do see you as a person, they see you as someone of less value. And the thing about it is, you know, with reference to what you were saying earlier, we, you know, in terms of value in life, we have come to accept it as, you know, if they don't see any value in us, that means we must not have any value. And that's hence the reason or one of the reasons why you see blacks commit, you know, kill each other in some cases anyway. So, but the question is, how do we, how do we deal with all of this? Uh, and, 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 you know, as you rightly say, we have to deal with them um, at the right times. Um, you know, that's something I tell my son all the time, right time, right place. But, we also have to figure out how we separate them. You know, how do we, how do we recognize the causes of this, of, 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 of this situation and, you know, and deal with them separately. And at the same time, keeping focused on, you know, uh, on the, on the, on others who do not see us as worth saving or worth giving a second and by the way even if someone even if someone commits a serious offense or they commit a serious crime that doesn't mean that they do not deserve a second chance because everyone else gets second and third and fourth and tenth chances so why doesn't a black man or a black woman deserve the same Sam, Sam, I, I want to, I want to read to you something that Ronald Bednow Thomas has said under, um, so far on the, on, on the Facebook live. It says, over many years of abusing some blacks, I have developed a self-fulfilling prophecy that himself has no value. So, so even a fight against himself. And mm-hmm. he said, but pre- presently, we need to focus on the present issue, which is police white supremacy against blacks, right? When the dust of Judge Floyd is settled, uh, or partially settled, we will need to have a re-education of our worth as blacks. I completely concur with that, and this is what, this is what I believe. And, 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 and in that regard, um, Sam, I want to devote as much of my attention, and I hate to use a violence metaphor, but I believe that there is a reason while I don't want to call this guy's name, the police officer who had his knee mm-hmm. on Freud's on Freud's neck, I don't even want to give cachet to him and his wickedness. But I, I happen to believe, as a as a criminologist, 
that there were and a person who, is, who specializes in violence to some degree and peace, that there was some self-satisfaction and gratification that the body language of this wicked police who had his knee on George's neck against the call of many other people, human beings, that are asking him to at least check his paws, to at least uh, at least ease him up, give him a break, at least... And even after somebody came and checked his pulse, the man still had his neck. I don't want to call it, I call him a man because I don't want to dehumanize somebody as a human being. Right. Yeah. But I'm not yeah. even sure that he, that he deserves to be called so. But this, this guy had his neck, his knee still. Even after the guy probably was dead or close to dead, he still had, what are you so afraid of? I believe that there are some person, there was a personal vendetta. And while we are making a distinction between first degree murder and second degree, and the different, the difference for the most part is that with first degree murder, you say, I'm going to kill this person. I'm going to find that person. Mm-hmm. You find the person you want to kill. You executed the action to kill the person, and you succeeded in the action of killing the person. Uh, yeah, That's called yeah. mens rea, right? Yeah. Criminal yeah. intent, right? Yeah. Oh, so you went, you, you went in, you, you, you know, you went in with that intention, mm-hmm. and you went to kill. I had a feeling that maybe this guy did not go to find George to kill him. But when he found George, he decided then to kill him because he knew that he was using a lethal a lethal technique. I know those techniques. I am a trained killer myself. <laughs> trained in the United States Army. I don't, I, I don't like saying that, but that's the truth. And if I hold someone in a certain hold, I know that this person is going to die most likely. And the way that this man was kneeling with his hand in his pocket, with George moving slower and slower, that is to me criminal intent that you did not intend to incapacitate this man before others. You intended to kill him. Mm-hmm. Now I know how hard it is to try to prove because they would have to prove men's ray and so on and so forth. But if you look at the fact that they moonlighted in that same club together, yeah. if you look at the brother around all those beautiful white women, I don't know. There probably is something we need to investigate about some, 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 I don't want to go there, but some hatred, some interracial hatred that George and this wicked police officer may have had where this officer saw the opportunity to kill George while he was in uniform and on the ground. So I am not even satisfied with the second degree murder stuff because I believe from watching, having forensic evidence from watching the, the non-violence demeanor of this wicked police that he intended to kill George Floyd. And I would be with, and, and, and I saw, it would probably be hard to prove, but I believe from his body language that he did. And I would say that we need to investigate the interpersonal relationship, especially that they knew each other before, and why he wanted to kill that man, or why he wanted to disable that man. But he wanted to kill the man. He wanted to kill him, mm-hmm. right? So I do not want to even spend a lot of time now talking about how we understand how white supremacy is calling us to hate ourselves. Because the same way, I don't want to use a, I don't want to use a violent metaphor, but the same way that this wicked guy had his neck, his knee on George Floyd's neck, killing him, is the same way we need to put our emphasis and our focus on trying to abate this wickedness of white supremacy in police forces that are causing us to lose our lives in the hands of those who to protect us. So I am not going to dismiss the things you ask me, but if it's not really about focusing on how we deal with this wickedness that's causing us to die, I'm sorry, host, I might distract every now and then and try to go back on the focus because we have a little time, we have a little window to give as much attention as possible to deal with this wickedness that confronts us. Let me ask you something then. How do we deal with that then? How do we... You know, because, you know, I look out there and I look at the protests and I see, you know, I see a bunch of other ethnicities out there, um, saying that they support us and, um, and so forth. But the problem with that is protest is only one thing. And it, it sometimes it doesn't feel, it doesn't, it may give us some sort of satisfaction. Yes, those police officers were arrested and charged. Um, but they haven't been convicted yet, first of all. Secondly, 
uh, we may get the satisfaction of judge getting justice if those those officers are convicted. But what about the past ones? What about the future ones, which will probably happen or may even happen today? We don't know. But the point is, protests may bring us some satisfaction to an extent but it that only goes so far so that is what i want to dig into how do we make that success in terms of stamping out racism stamping out uh, white supremacy how do we get past or get deeper into the cause and 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 fix it or, 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 st- or begin to fix it and, and heal and, you know, uh, and, and, and bring about unity. Given the fact that the people who make laws and the people who pass laws and the people who enforce laws are the same ones, for the most part, who are perpetrating this hatred and perpetrating this inequality towards us. How do we begin to even break that shell or even put a crack in it? Um, um, Sam, that's that's a good question. Uh, And thank you. (laughs) Thank you for adhering to my wish to use my time wisely and, 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 and have me discuss things that helps to dismantle this problem that confronts us and to, to control the, the show to let that happen because, um, we have put, we have had a funeral for a particular term today. Um, first of all, let me say that I am on the side of the protesters. I support, uh, um, protests and civil disobedience as very important democratic uh, approaches to dealing with systematic issues. Well, it worked for them, so why can't it work and, for us? <laughs> and and I want to say that it is very important, as has been done, to make a distinction between protest action, rioting, disorderliness, chaos, and just... Not, not disobedience, but just chaotic behavior that is intended to be disruptive. Mm-hmm. And as a person who is trained in the Kenyan approach and trained also in Gandhi's approach to dealing with nonviolence and the, the power of nonviolence and the work of Mandela, the power of a nonviolent protest is that you are going to force the wicked person to submit to their own wickedness by not becoming like them. Mm. And oftentimes the the, the power of the non-violent protest, especially the term civil disobedience, is a particular technique that has been used so effectively by Gandhi, that has been used by Mandela, that has been used by King and others. And when you are trained with King's approach to non-violence, and you take the 20 hours or the 40 hour training and so on. What you learn is that there is a spe- there are specific lessons that you get to learn about how to withstand oppression in and not acting wrong when the wrong is being do- done to you. How do you get to allow the canine dog to bite into your body and not shoot a cop if you have a, a weapon? You should never shoot a cop. But if you have a way that you could be violent at the time when somebody's been violent against you, how do you withstand that hose that is spraying you down and not respond violently so you can end up all of a sudden having to defend yourself and how you get to bring the wickedness to its knees after you withstand this wickedness? Now, one will say that I have the right to protect my life. So if I'm dead, what worth is it? And at some point, one has to defend themselves. Mm -hmm. But the idea about nonviolent action is that we do not go out and riot. We do not go out and destroy. We do not, we we do not go out and, and, and put ourselves in position that when we go to jail, we have to, we have to come out and deal with our felonies and our criminality. The idea, one of the strongest notions about civil disobedience is the idea that there is a law, there is some rule, there is some procedure that is done by the system that needs to change. And usually the only way that you can get your way in court to change the things that are in systems through law is through the police station 
and by being arrested, right? You usually come to the courthouse from the back door. Mm-hmm. You have to just walk into the front and go to the judge. Sometimes you are brought in. Sometimes that's the case, but you may be on bail. But a lot of times you come into the side. So the idea is that you are going to disobey the law, the law that you're standing up against, and you will get arrested. You will peacefully get arrested. You will have your lawyers lined up and all of that. You're going to go to court. And when you go to court, your case, you are going to beat a particular case, or you're going to create a new law, a new rule, or a new motion, or a new something that is going to change the condition for which you were protesting and for which you put your life on the line. So therefore, it is not, it doesn't make any sense to you to, in the process of doing that, to destroy a building, to, to, to beat a police officer, to beat a bystander, to do anything to anyone because you want to be in the right as much as possible and you want the effort to be focused on changing that thing that you want to change and you need to stay focused and disciplined and you need to not be distracted on that mission. And that is what I see a lot of protesters are doing, a lot of those young people, as President Obama applaud them, I applaud them, and this is exactly what we need to do. Now, you ask the question, what, where do we go from here? Mm-hmm. And that is a very important question that has to be answered even before we get engaged in civil disobedience. When we get arrested, when the people, the generous people now who are donating money to bail our young heroes, um, who were protesting, not rioters, the rioters need to pay. The rioters need to pay for the criminality that they did. They, they, this is wrong. I don't care who, I don't care if it's black owned, white owned. I don't care if it's owned by white supremacists. You do not go out there and destroy people's businesses. You do not do that. It is, if it runs afoul to the nature of the goodness that those of us who are genuinely involved in doing nonviolent protesting as a very powerful technique to end this wickedness that is facing us. You are not helping us unless you are deliberately trying to destroy us. Or you're just trying to be opportunistic and you need to stop it, right? Mm-hmm. We cannot be going out there causing that type of unjustified harm and damaging businesses that we need and jobs that we need in our community um, while we are trying to focus on dealing with this wickedness of white supremacy and police brutality. But here's the point. Here's the issue. That's why organizing is so important. There is not one protest, even when you look at that was very effective, that didn't have good leadership. Even if you saw Rosa Parks and it just looked like it was just Rosa Parks, no, that there's a string of events. Yeah. And Rosa Parks knew exactly what was going to happen when she sat in the back of the bus and when Dr. King and others organized and people went to the restaurants where blacks sat in the restaurants where whites were supposed where they were not supposed to go and it was a white-only section and when they got arrested for sitting in the restaurant that is white only, and when Rosa Parks got sitting, got got arrested or got, you know and harassed for sitting in the part of the bus that she was not supposed to sit as a black woman, when she went to court and when they went to court, they were able to say, "Is this law fair?" Of course, it is not fair. Mm-hmm. I got arrested for an unfair law. It is unconstitutional. It does not fit with humanity. It doesn't fit with this. It doesn't fit with that. And on the basis of that, the, 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 we were able to change laws. We were able to change regulations. We were able, and whenever you change laws, you can affect policies and policies can affect programs. So the question, the important question I believe that you're asking, Sam, is what is the law? What is the policy? What is the procedure that those of us who are involved in protests when we go to court, and even if we were to stand down from our civil disobedience, what is going to be the concession that we will accept mm-hmm. as appropriate for putting our lives on the lines peacefully to get an end? And with that said, what I embrace is that um, there is, a, when, when you listen to President Obama and Obama.org, when you listen to the, the address that president made and this articulate, uh, young lady who spoke after him and another woman and another gentleman who spoke after, there, we have to be careful not to try to reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of recommendations that I make with peaceology 
But the, a lot of what pisology is, pisology is a science and, and practice of making peace profitable. That's something I've developed, and I, I have physiological um, recommendations to make to, for us to move forward. But even before pisology, and even together with pisology, because I'm not interested in just trying to sell my own product. I'm interested in moving forward the things that have been done. I think that the recommendation, there were like eight points that were well articulated when the, in that town hall meeting discussion that mm-hmm. this young lady who spoke after President Obama. I think that something like that, we need to, we need to, we, we certainly need to implement this. President Obama spoke about a few initiatives that he started at the White House while he was there, and a few of them that he's taken up within the Obama Foundation right. uh, that, that mandates the way that police officers, what mayors are supposed to do in terms of mandating the way that police officers are trained, what police officers and police chiefs and others should do in terms of, 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 of dealing with, with procedural justice. Um, I, I have a colleague, uh, I'm a, the you know, I'm the, the director of criminal of, of criminology at North Park University, and within the School of Professional Studies, um, we we do we have two criminal justice programs, and I actually hire a, a, a criminal uh, a, a, a gentleman. I'm not going to call his name, but he's actually a, a high level police trainer uh, in a local police department around here, mm-hmm. and he teaches them police procedural justice. He teaches on, on a variety of, of, of incident commands and other types of things. We have the ability. There are a lot of good things already in place that are not being used. There are a lot of good police officers that are doing the things that are supposed to be done, but the, the tail is wagging the dog. Why is it, if we are saying that not all cops are bad, well, then why are the good cops letting the bad cops drag the, the reputation of the department anyway? Why are they standing there while this bad thing is happening? Well, that was so going to be my next. That, that, training that needs to happen. There's a lot of community training and so on that needs to happen. And I can speak more specifically on some of those those points. But I believe that that is where we need to have leadership that says that at the end of this, we want something. And we need to hold people fit to the fire to see that those things are done. And I believe the 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 the... The um, recommendations from the Obama Foundation is a very good place to begin because President Obama and Eric Holder and so on put a lot of work into that, and we ought to join that train and mm-hmm. to see that what comes out of that are good deliverables to end uh, to start ending this brutality that we're currently facing. Right. You know, wow, we are pretty much, well, we actually passed our time, but I did want to ask you, um, so... With all that being said, and, and I like your answer that, you know, we have to, we have to continue to work within the confines of the law. Um, some say we have to work within the confines of current law to change current law. So, um, essentially. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm sorry, Sam. I'm mm-hmm. not sure that I'm going to accept that as an interpretation of what I said. I did not necessarily say that we have to work within the confines of the current law to change the law because sometimes you have to break the law to make new laws. Yeah. And, and that's why sometimes we sit on the back of buses or we, or we disobey curfews or certain things like that. Right. Mm-hmm. But so, so, so sometimes you have to break the law to change the law, but you're not breaking up the law does not mean that you go break people windows, throw stones at people, rape people, kill people. That's not what it means. It means the law that is oppressing you, you need to break that law so you can change it. So I want to make sure that I'm not just telling people be nice, quiet, well-behaved mm. people, and that's how we change society. I'm not yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. I didn't. Yes. No, that's not what I meant. Okay, that's not what I meant. Okay, okay I good. just, yeah. I mean, obviously, if you're going to break a law, you're sitting on a bus. Um, you know, when the when the law says you cannot or you should not, um, uh, you know, obviously you can do that. But if if you so essentially you can't cre- commit a felony to put it this way to you know, to, to, to get the law changed because that won't happen. The only thing that's going to happen is you are going to be punished according to what the law says you're good. Well, maybe even more if you're a black, but not maybe if you're a black person, your punishment will be much more severe than anyone else for breaking law of when you're talking about destruction of property and all those kinds of things those are serious crimes so you know you know that that's that's what i meant we are not encouraging or we are not saying that you you have to do you have to go burn down a building in order to get attention or in order to get them to change the law they won't change the law because one or few people commit such an act 
only thing they are going to do is these people are going to get punished and the law will move on as it is and whatever it is that you are fighting will not change because the tactic that you are using doesn't help or is not going to help so um, yes and and i you know there's dd ister says on on our, on our on our chat here that it will require legislation to change the structural racism in america if nothing else uh, comes out in, in the nationwide protest action does the uh, the organizers are, are, are pushing for such legislation to be passed a lot of people sam are talking about vote 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 right mm-hmm. but a lot of times you vote in the old the same old crooks the same old knuckleheads, <laughs> the same old hustlers. We need to be, you know, I was very impressed. There is a LGBTQ, a transgendered, um, um, gentleman in Minnesota on the north side of the city. And I had to, I had to even, um, 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 describe him by his gender. Uh, but people may understand what I, what I mean when I say that. But this young man was so articulate and in his understanding and so brilliant in his understanding of his community. And what needs to happen? There are so many great young minds now that are lawmakers. So when we're talking about voting, we're talking about voting for people like him. We are not just voting uh, to talk about voting for people who have been there for decades, who have done nothing, and some of the communities in Chicago that are, are facing police brutality and facing other types of problems have the same um, deadbeat uh, politicians. I'm not interested in saying go vote the same losers again. We need to get people who are right-minded, people who are are legislatively uh, acute and who are supportive of a progressive uh, and, and good future and then vote them. So the whole idea of just voting, I know you need to register the vote because you need to be counted in the census. You need to be able to serve on the jury and all that. Mm-hmm. But don't just wholesale, just say, go vote. Don't just vote for the same nonsense. No. Well, you it need has to, to vote be... for the people who are going to make those legislative changes that we need so we could address this evil that is currently confronting us. Well, yeah. So, and, 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 I, and I agree with that. You, I, I like to talk about, I like to say if you have the ability to vote, go vote. Yes. But at the Correct. same time, um, you know, we have to go deeper than that where we have to look at it as, you know, uh, we have to add in education or we have to add in, um, uh, we ourselves, um, you know, if you can't find somebody, put it this way, if you can't find someone you trust and you can't find someone you believe will look out for your interest put yourself in a position where you can run for a seat doesn't matter if it's your pta or your city council or all the way to congress it doesn't matter where you run but you know you have to put yourself in a position where you figure you can make a difference um and so yeah, yeah that it's, makes it's, sense. it's that beyond just voting and of right, course right. of course because if you know you can't complain that you are not being represented if you don't put yourself in a position when i say you i'm talking about all of us so i'm not specifying I understand. I, one, I understand. one i'm not specifying one person or, or one person in the audience i'm just saying mm. all of us right. have to find the place we fit in and where we can make a difference. And, 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 and so if you see, for example, your school board, um, I, I, I'm using school board just because it's the beginning of education. So, or it's a, you know, or, uh, institutionalized education or where we go to get, um, you know, the, 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 what will take us through to work to the, to the, to the, to the work section of, of your adult life. So if you see your school board is not representing your child, for example, um, or things are happening. I'll give you this example, better yet. Um, um, earlier this week, I saw a story where a, a particular a school in Texas was telling, told its one of its students that if she doesn't remove her braids, she will not graduate. Um, earlier this year, a young man, also in Texas, incidentally, was told if he doesn't cut his locks off, he will not graduate. And there are incidents like that all over the place. So what should parents do? Should they just accept that and say, oh, cut your hair? Or should they continue to fight or go to court? You may go to court for that one person, but how does that change the situation for the next child that happens to? Well, you know what, you know what we do though, right? That's for, so, so in civil disobedience, what you would do if that were my child, I would tell that you have to, to cut your locks to graduate. My child would go to school with their locks 
and then when my child does not graduate, right, I would not disobey the law so I get arrested, right, but I would be taking them to court. I'd be suing them because you can go to court in many ways. Mm -hmm. You don't only get to court by being arrested. Sometimes you have to get arrested to go to court, but you can go to court also by putting up a lawsuit. So my child would go to school with their dreads. You would, you would not give my child a certificate. I would get my day in court to change the law or the rule or the practice that this, that uses the white supremacist idea that if the year is not straight like a white person's hair, and if a wear is not the way that white people can wear their hair because white people cannot typically wear their hair in dreads like the way we can, then that is not acceptable. That is the way we change it, Sam. So mm-hmm. in that regard, when we talk about this issue here with this, with this killing of George Floyd and with the many others, and again, I'm, I can call names. I'm trying not to keep the names of all of our, of our heroes that have died. Uh, because of in, in wrongful hands, because it's a lot of burden to carry in your head. Right. George Floyd and all the others, uh, even Trevor Martin, even if he was, didn't die in the hands of, of law enforcement per se. Yeah. But when we do that, I really employ, as we're about to wind down, to everybody to really try to put our energy and our focus. Do not get distracted on this black and black nonsense. Although we will have time, when I say black and black nonsense, what I mean is that people are going to talk about black and black violence, black and black crime, whatever, to distract us. We, we, we need to address that in the community, and we'll have a right forum for this. But now we need to put all hands on deck on dealing with this wickedness, because even as we speak, I am looking in the Chicago area, and I'm seeing women, black women, and other people being harassed by police in ways that procedural justice does not require you to have so much violent force. We see what is happening, mm-hmm. what happened in Atlanta with those young students. While police officers' heads are too hard, what is going, is it going to take for so many of them? Again, there are good ones among them. I'm not talking about them, but they need to check themselves. The same way like white people need to talk to other white people about racism. Good cops need to talk about to other good cops about being good cops. Mm-hmm. And until you do that, we need to put the pressure on you. I don't want to say we want to put the pressure on your neck because it's a, it's a terrible thing that has happened with someone's neck. But we need to put pressure on you so you change those behaviors. And we need to put all our energies toward changing that. We need to Every moment we have, we need to continue to be drug majors for justice to deal with this issue, to change the procedures. To change. I am a trainer in police uh, for procedural justice and others. I'm not. I'm not trying to get. Uh, I'm not trying to do a commercial for a job here. I'm not trying to do that. <laughs> well, no, I there mean, are a lot of people doing the work, and we need to identify the work that needs to be done. We need to see when it's successful, and we need to continue marching towards justice and equality, especially in the hands of those who we pay. Who we pay to protect and service. Right, definitely. And and of course you can advertise for a job because you have the credentials for it. I mean you've done plenty of work in the Grand Bay area in Dominica. So I um, I, I wish we had more time. But but don't worry folks. Um Dr. Seja will be on this weekend interview next week Wednesday with Anthony. So you'll get another opportunity to hear from him, right? And this time it's public and this time it's probably gonna be a more palatable advertisements because <laughs> our our um the advertisement did its job in terms of showing us how inappropriate it was to have a title like this at this time and everything. Not inappropriate to have a title, but how how um people consume the fact that things have the right place at the right time. Um so our next show that we advertise um, although it would be provocative, but, um, well, you know, we can't make any promises. Um, <laughs> the people have to listen to the show. Yeah, you just got to tune in. That's and, all. Yeah. And the same way, exactly. And you don't judge a book by its cover because I, I can get killed just because of the way I look and people don't know who I am. So don't, don't try to kill a show because before you know what's in the show. <laughs> yeah, well. You know, well, we understand, um, we understand how people yeah. feel. So, but, yeah. um, again, let me say thank you for joining me. And I, I, I was very happy to have you accept. This is your first time on, on FYI. So I didn't get a chance to give you a proper welcome. So, uh, <laughs> hopefully <laughs> we'll have you back on FYI at some point. Um, uh, I mean, you're no stranger to TDN radio. So. Your family, so you know, um, we always appreciate your time and ex- appreciate your willingness, your willingness 
to come and show, um, um, share with us what, um, you know, especially in, in times like this, you know, we usually call you when things like that happen, uh, just because of yeah. your expertise and, and the work you've done, um, in Dominica and, and around the world, um, with your yeah, yeah, peaceful do, yeah. world movement and everything that you've been doing. So anything that else you want to add before we go? Quickly. Yes, I just want to thank a lot of people too who followed us on Facebook and those who will watch this live. I mean, who watch this in replay, and to ask people to join the movement. I mean, some people I was I was leading a blackface incident, uh, respond to some racial incidents last year in our community. And some people have been calling me to do something in peaceology to address this George Floyd issue. So I may I may I may I may take that on because the community is calling for it. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's continue the dialogue. If next Wednesday. Hopefully we can build on this. But people continue to work for justice, continue to focus on dealing with the issues at hand, and don't get distracted by those who are trying to distract us from 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 dismantling the wickedness of white supremacy that has caused uh, suffering in so many different aspects in our lives. Indeed. And that's where we will leave it for today. And hopefully we can continue the conversation. And we hopefully this actually sparks people to... Um, you know, not just talk, but actually put themselves in positions where they can do something. And when I say do something, I am not talking about going and destroy property or, you know, giving yourself a criminal record just because. But I am talking about doing something positive and substantive that will bring about the change that we are looking for and not call, not do something that will actually bring about setbacks. You know, we don't want to take two yes. steps forward and ten steps back. So uh, we'll leave it right there for today. Thank you so much, Sam. Thanks for inviting me. I look forward to next time. All right. Thank you. Have a good rest of the day. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.